Amen. Thank you, Gracie. We can trust him. I heard James Dobson say one time, we can trust him even when we can't trace him. We can rest in him. Uh, just a couple of quick announcements, a word before we get into our message. Um, there is in your bulletin, there's a link to a worldview quiz. And not this Sunday night, this Sunday night we have a prayer walk. But the next Sunday night we're kicking off a new study. And are you interested, how biblical is your thinking? We talk about having a Christian worldview. Well, this quiz will be great and come back to me. And it's one of the first things we want to look at as we open that study. So I encourage you to be a part of that. And follow that link, take that quiz, be a part of it. Um, and then secondly, be sure and mark that end of September the 29th through October 1st is our prayer empowerment weekend. And this Wednesday night, we're going to start a study. The Foys gave us a video study on prayer encourage you to be a part of that. We have a great opportunity because God moves where his people pray. And one more thing. I am so grateful for the little things, the little blessings that God provides. This morning, uh, we got up and Cindy had a watermelon and Atticus loves watermelon. So he was dancing around, excited about the prospect of a watermelon. And... uh his parents, and uh, they've been working on his colors and stuff. So Cindy says, what color is this? He says, "Gene." And he said, good job. So she cuts the watermelon open, then she points inside the watermelon. What color is this? Boo. <laughs> well, you can't get everything right, but it's a work in progress. <laughs> so grateful. I can't believe we are finally, um, I shouldn't say finally like that, but we are in the last chapter and the last message in the book of Jonah. And starting next week, I'm going to go back and do another section of Revelation from Revelation 8 through Revelation chapter 11. So encourage you in honor of our great and awesome God to stand up as I read aloud and we pay honor to God uh, to Jonah chapter 4. Read along with me. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, oh, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. 
But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for being concerned about me and about each of us, Lord. You were so concerned when you saw our condition, our sin, that you did the only thing, the unimaginable. You sent your one and only son to come and to pay a price you didn't owe so that we could receive a blessing we could not possibly earn. You are so good and you are so gracious, O God. And as we look at this section of Scripture, I pray for your guidance, Lord. And as we see Jonah faint, um, perk us up, Lord, to the truth of you. And I just thank you for your people and for an opportunity to worship you, the one true God. Lead and guide us in our time together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good old Jonah. You know, um, I'm sure if Jonah had an opportunity to edit the book of Jonah, the story of Jonah, at least I certainly would have felt this way, I would have stopped at chapter 3. I mean, let's face it, the guy was off to a rough start. God said, go there. And he said, I'm going to go the other way. But God got his attention and we've gone through all of that. And, and, and then God used him. And I mean, there was a powerful revival. As a matter of fact, if they had ended it in chapter 3, just imagine, he, he, could, he could be on the front page of every newspaper. He could be sought out for advice on how to live the mighty life for God. I mean, this guy was used in a powerful fashion. Us preachers pay anything to get his sermon outlines. Oh, boy, that has some power. We need those sermons. What great outlines. I mean, even the secular media would say, well, how do we deal with racism today? With a Syrian supremacist. How do we deal with them? I can see old general. Well, you get a new heart. But only God can do that. Um, or, you know, I, I could just see revivals and all kinds of material being written. How to have a revival like Nineveh here this week. Show up. So you don't burn up. And, and I, you know, titles like effective sermons for effective evangelists. Or how to preach like Jonah without swimming with the fishes. Or strategies for reaching the unreachable. Or how to win a city in 40 days or less. I mean, I could see invitations pouring into Jonah to appear in public places, or, or today, you know, like on radio or, or TV, or, or he could be Time Magazine's Man of the Year, win the Nobel Peace Prize. Well, I mean, they could even name a street after him. Jonah the Prophet Boulevard. In all the cities, and even buses, tourist buses, that would go to his well-known hometown of Gath Heifer. That was kind of a joke. I don't know too many that are real familiar with Gath Heifer. And, and I could see the, you know, you get off at Gath Heifer, his hometown, and, you know, they hand you a little miniature well. It's plastic, and you got a half-eaten man in it. Ah, you see his legs coming out. And, and then it takes you to Joppa, that tour bus, where there are statues of Jonah. 
dedicated with a bronze plaque saying, Jonah got on the boat here. And then another spot marking the spot with a plaque saying, Jonah landed here. And there'd be a small dent in the ground where it says, and this is where he really landed. Right there. But none of that happened. There's a chapter 4. And and the question is, why is there a chapter 4? Why is chapter 4 critical? Well, there are three questions asked by God to Jonah. And I think that they are three pertinent questions for all of us. Not just for Jonah. The first question deals with perspective. The second with priorities. And the third with passion. First now outline, we see that first question. Jonah's misguided perspective. Do you have a good reason <laughs> to be angry? Uh, I'm actually going to start at verse 10 of chapter 3. He says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. I'm not a very smart preacher or very good preacher, but I don't understand why you're depressed when everybody in the city gets saved, comes to God, repents, and you're moping around. That just doesn't sound right. But that is exactly what happened in the life of Jonah. Jonah went and and he he shared this short message. But it was with power. It wasn't the length or the strength of the words. It was the strength of God. Um, Just as it says in Zechariah 4.6. It's not by might nor by power. But by my spirit says the Lord. And this great revival was a result of that. And Jonah was not happy. Notice verse 2 of chapter 4. He prayed to the Lord. Oh Lord. Is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. Slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. You see the problem with Jonah was not that he was afraid no one would listen to the message. He was afraid they all would. Why? Because that rascal didn't want to see those people get saved. He thought, well, they're not worth God's time. They're not worth God's forgiveness. They're not worth God's blessings. As a matter of fact, his own nation, they looked at the Ninevites and like, like ISIS. We just need to wipe them out. They're trouble. They don't deserve Anything but judgment. I mean, he was a super patriot. I mean, he, he, he might have even been thinking, I don't want to go home. And everybody said, I cannot believe you went and preached God's mercy and grace to those people. That neighborhood. You should have stayed out of that place. I agree with Warren Wiersbe, who, who wrote in his commentary, Jonah's Jewish friends back home would want to see all the Assyrians destroyed. Not just the people of Nineveh. When Jonah's friends found out he had been... The means of saving Nineveh from God's wrath. They could have considered him a traitor to official foreign Jewish policy. 
look at verse 3, his response to God. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. You know, isn't it interesting that Jonah's best prayer was in his worst place, in a fish's belly? was his best prayer, and his worst prayer would have been, you know, you'd think the best place, a great awakening in Nineveh, and the movement of God in Nineveh, and yet it was an angry heart from which he prayed in Nineveh instead of a grateful heart from which he paid from the fish of the belly. Suddenly, God asked Jonah a question we're allowed to hear. Verse 4, Have you any right... To be angry? Jonah. Do you have any right to be angry? Think of Jesus. Several places in the gospel it says he looked at Jerusalem. Now if there was someone who had the right to be angry. It was Jesus. He's the only one that has the right to judge us. But the scriptures say that he looked at the city. He started to cry. Why? Because when he looked at them, he said, they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We use the term lost. Or as a country preacher says, as lost as a ball in high weeds. That's how he saw the people. Not specifically how great a sinner that one is or, or what she did. Or can you believe what he did? No, he looked and he said, they're broken. They're busted. <laughs> they need they need forgiveness. Or Paul, when he walked around Athens and all those statues of gods. And it tells us in Acts 17, verse 16, he was filled with alarm for their souls. They were spiritual. There was an interest in spiritual things. But they weren't looking to Jesus Christ. The one who truly saves and brings forgiveness. Basically, um, God is trying to get Jonah's attention. Are we looking at the same thing here, Jonah? This does not seem like the same perspective. You are not looking correctly at what's going on. Matter uh, matter of fact, look at verse 2. Jonah knew his theology. And, And let me just say. You can know your theology, but not know God. You can dot your I's and cross your T's, but miss the word, the living word, Jesus. Look at verse 2. He had his his theology. He said, oh, Lord, you are compassionate. You're gracious. God, you're slow to anger. You're abounding in love. You're a God who relents from sending calamity. Boy, those are pretty words. They sound really holy. The problem was, he could say the words, he could quote the words, he didn't want to live the words. He knew God was compassionate and gracious. He just didn't want God to be compassionate and gracious to those old Ninevites. That is, he he didn't want to see that. I mean, it would be like one of us saying, 
you know, we need to pray for this person that needs Jesus. And then, you know, give a lot of detail of why they need Jesus. But then turn around and say, but I hope it doesn't stick. What? You know what happens there? We forget that we need it to stick. We've lost sight of the fact, not only does everyone else need to be saved, I need to be saved. You see that picture of forgiveness and grace, it starts here, then goes out. Until we get it, we can't give it or point others appropriately to it. Look at verse 5. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen in the city. Well, the question is, did Jonah not have any friends in that city? I mean, it appeared that he got an audience with the king. He could have went to the palace, been all cozy. Sure, some of those people that changed their hearts would have been grateful to God's messenger. He didn't want to be near them. He'd say, they stink. I don't want to be close to a Ninevite. So he got as far away as he could. And he got under that plant. He he got under that vine. (laughs) Because he didn't want to hang around with those people. It's interesting in in chapter 3 verse 4. As we read about his message that God so powerfully used. He said, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That same word translated overturned here is the word that was used in speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah. So, you know, I I can just picture old Jonah. He's sitting under that vine and he's just thinking, this didn't stick. In a minute, we're going to see great fireworks. Fire's going to come flying down. Sulfur's going to wipe out that city and destroy them because they're a wicked people. This must have been what was going on in his mind. He, he thought they'll have a relapse. Certainly God's not going to show that kind of grace. It's like the older brother to the prodigal son. Hmm. Hmm. Really God? Really Father? You're really going to forgive them? Then notice verse 6. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy. About the vine. And then verse 7. He says. um, But at dawn the next day God provided a worm. Which chewed the vine so that it withered. (laughs) When the sun rose. God provided a scorching wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head. So that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And said it would be better for me to die. Than. To live. This worm was like a fruit grub which gnawed on the roots of that plant, of that vine, and and attacked attacked that vine by the divine order of God. You know, you can't help but notice throughout the whole book, God is at work. He is in control. God provided a great fish. He provided a wine. He He provided a worm. Matter of fact, as you look at this book, every... Part of God's creation obeys God except one. Jonah. The prodigal prophet. He refused to listen to God. God used this big fish to swallow him. He used this vine to give him shade. He used a worm to chew through. He, 
He even took those old sailors and he gave them a revival and changed their hearts. God did this incredible, mighty work. Everybody listened but Jonah. Everybody got revived but Jonah. He needed the revival and he missed it. So God asked him, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And it shows his mistaken priority. Look at the question there in verse 9. Do you have a right to be angry about the vine, Jonah? <laughs> what is it that makes you mad? What do you, what do you get mad about? What do you get distraught about as, as uh, Grace so beautifully saying? What, what is it that, you know, when can you rest or how can you rest? Do you, do you know he's in control what he was mad about is not the things that ultimately matter. You know, this vine is chewed through. It's, it's no longer there. But he's lost sight of 120,000 people who've just turned to God. I mean, he, he should be overjoyed. He should think about how God was merciful to him and, and then be grateful about the mercy but all he could, to them. But all he could do was be angry because God did not do what he expected him to do. Jonah moved from anger in verse 1 to happiness in verse 6. And he's angry over the conversion of sinners and happy about the creation of a vine. That's a problem of priority in his life. You might say, I, I can't believe Jonah really got upset over the condition of a vine more than he did over the condition of people. That's just Jonah. That's not us. Sometimes I think we're more concerned about the condition of that green stuff called grass in our yards than we are about the condition of people. Have you ever noticed? I've noticed this. I go outside and cut my yard. Next thing I know, there's three neighbors out cutting their yard. Or vice versa. Something happens, you know. Time to cut the yard. But we forget people last. People live forever. And God loves people. He wants us to care more about the people than he does the grass. Ouch for all of us. Uh, notice as he closes chapter 10 and 11, the Lord said, You've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? A mistaken priority. And then third, a misguided passion. Verse 11, should I not have compassion on Nineveh? Should I not be moved to pity and mercy. You see everything. Is in the process. Of perishing. Except people. We're going to live forever. Only what God. Retouches. Receives his blessing. We're still going to live forever. If we don't receive his touch. We don't hear this in modern culture. But it will not be where we want to live. It will be apart from the living God. 
and even more from the idea of eternal flames and, you know, that kind of suffering. It's the fact we'll never know the blessings of God. And every good and perfect thing is from God. So there'll be nothing good and perfect when we're separated from Him. Hell will be because every, you think everything's wrong now? Without God, everything is wrong. There won't be anything right. Now, as people look to this, people, they don't know their right or their left. There's some scholars who say, well, it's talking about children. They haven't figured out what's their left hand, what's their right hand. And, you know, is this 120,000 young children don't know their right hand from their left hand? And I would say, no, this is talking about a people that are so confused. They don't know what right and wrong is. Boy, does that sound familiar today? We have a, a time, we're in a time and in a culture where nobody knows what right is right and nobody seems to know what is wrong. The scripture says that our enemy is the author of confusion. And boy, that's what I see a lot of confusion. Confusion all around us. And I, I believe that God was trying to say to Jonah, You're mad at them, but understand, they are confused. They are chasing after idols and, and they are not looking to me because they're confused. They have not seen me. They need to see me, Jonah. I know they're terrible, okay? I get it. But here's why. They're confused. And as we look, boy, that sounds like America today. There is so much confusion and people have, have missed God. There is a blindness Matter of fact, when it speaks about the right and the left through Scripture, it's a picture of the right hand or, or those who understand there is a morality and, and an understanding of God in the left hand. They don't understand. There is a confusion and, and they have turned away from God. You know, Jesus said uh, on, on the sheep on my right and the, and the goats on my left, it says Jesus ascended to the right hand of God in Psalm seventy three twenty three, David said, I'm continually with you. You've taken hold of my right hand. That which is good, that which is effective. That's the right hand of trusting God. So Jonah's basically getting a lesson from God. These people need the truth. That's your job, Jonah. It's my job to save them. But it's your job to be a person who declares the truth. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 2. A wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but a foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. God told Jonah, should I not have compassion on these people? Now, we don't, we don't have recorded here Jonah giving an answer. I would like to think that he did. There seems to be some evidence in Mosul, which is um, the area... We think we're Nineveh, that, that same area, that the Christians there, you know, just a couple of years ago, they destroyed what we believe was Jonah's grave. ISIS destroyed. It was like two years ago. The Christians there give credit. They said, you know, our heritage, our Christian faith, our heritage goes back to Jonah. We were thankful for Jonah. So, so there seems to be an idea that after this, Jonah kind of got his act together and went back to these Christians, or not Christians, but God-fearers. I guess in one way we could almost say that because they were going to follow the true God. 
But he came back to teach them about God. To give them a foundation. That, and so even today in those living in Mosul. That there's this picture of they're relating back. Let me close with this. Uh, turn with me in Matthew chapter 12 verse 41. We conclude our study on Jonah. Matthew 12, verse 41. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. Jesus said, one greater than Jonah is here. How is Jesus greater than Jonah? Well, let me just read a few of these. Jonah was a man, Jesus, the God-man, John 1. Jonah preached a message of judgment. Jesus preached a message of repentance and salvation, John chapter 3. Jonah almost died for his own sins. Jesus willingly died for your sins and my sins, the sins of the world, 1 John chapter 2. Jonah's ministry was to one city... The message of Jesus Christ circles the globe to all nations. There is forgiveness. Jonah's obedience was not from the heart. Jesus always did what pleased his father. John chapter 8. Jonah did not love the people he came to rescue. Jesus had compassion for the lost and came to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19. Jonah waited outside the city, hoping God would not forgive those who had hated the Jews. Jesus Christ was put on a cross outside the city, praying that his father would forgive those who hated him. Jesus Christ is greater than Jonah in many more ways. How could we not follow such a God? And this book, it, it ends with a question for Jonah. Several questions. Questions of perspective, of priority, and, and of passion. And we can't answer for Jonah, but we can answer for ourselves. Whom will we choose? Whom will we follow? Will we follow the one that the winds and the waves and the whales, the big fish, the vines and the worms, and even those Ninevites followed? Will we follow that God? And when we say yes, he will save us and he will use us if we are willing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the account in scripture of a prodigal prophet named Jonah. I thank you, Father, that you used him in spite of him and that you are still in the business of taking a weak and broken people and molding them to your glory. As, uh, Father, we come to this time in the service we refer to as invitation or response. It is the Spirit of God who must speak and it is us who must obey. So, Spirit, how are you speaking? People of God, what are you hearing? I guess the challenge is to listen clearly and obey the voice of God. Maybe that voice is calling you to this altar to pray about something up on your heart. 
maybe it is calling you to make a decision right where you are to follow the nail-scarred hands of the one who perfectly loves you. Maybe it is to say yes to salvation or to follow in baptism or, or to follow in, in another way, but to follow. And we pray as we stand to sing that we will obey and come as you call. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.